0: As we do get into the passage in our series uh, this morning, uh, Mark chapter 7, uh, the sermon, if, if you heard the, the text, uh, it talks about the dangers of religion. And, it's, and the sermon is entitled, Clean uh, Hands, Cold Hearts. And uh, honored today to have a friend of mine, uh, Thomas Slager, Pastor Thomas from Highlands Church in Scottsdale, come and bring God's word to us. Uh, Thomas is a friend of mine who I meet with, uh, with a few other pastors We get together once every other month or so and talk about this. We talk about preaching, and we talk about how to be uh, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit as we preach, but also just uh, handle the text well and how we're doing that in our different churches. And so there's about four of us that meet from across four different churches on how we can proclaim Jesus better and reach our city for the the glory of Christ. And so excited to have Thomas here. Uh, Across the street, some of you know this, is Phoenix Christian School. Thomas grew up going to Scottsdale Christian Academy, which is a huge rival. And so, I don't, yeah, maybe we're going to clap for him, but maybe you should boo him. I, I don't know. Just I'll let you handle that on your own. Uh, but so excited to have you here, Thomas. Would you come up and bring God's word to us? Would you guys welcome him?
1: Rivals. <laughs> rival schools, not rival churches. It is good to be with you guys. Um, I know pastors say that when they come as a guest and speak at another church, and they always say, it's truly an honor to be with you this morning. And uh, we're not just saying that. I didn't mean that. It's good to be with believers in a different neighborhood um, and to hear how God is using you to be his hands and his feet in the context in which he's placed you. Uh, I was with you guys a couple years ago when you were at your other campus, so it's exciting uh, to be in your new home. So thanks for having me. Um, Hopefully, God will bless our time together today. Like Tim said, we're in Mark chapter 7. And in today's passage, we're going to see Jesus encounter a group he encounters often. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. And the first time we saw them in the Gospel of Mark, we we met them in chapter 2. And if you recall chapter 2, Jesus was teaching to a ton of people in a tiny room, right? ton of people, tiny room, doesn't work. And these four faithful friends, they decide they want to come in and they want to hear Jesus' teaching. But because it's a ton of people in a tiny room, they can't get in. So what they did, they... I guess it's a genius idea. I don't know. They scale the side of the house and go to the top of the house and cut a hole in the roof. And somehow, Jesus must have been such a great teacher. Like, I'm sure if someone was cutting a hole in the roof right now, you'd be like, hey, Thomas, we should something's happening up there. Uh, but that didn't happen. They just cut a hole in the roof, and Jesus kept teaching. And, and as he was teaching, these four guys lowered their friend who on like a cot, which would be really distracting as you're trying to teach and preach, right? But... Jesus just keeps on going with it, and I'm sure people notice it at some point, and, and Jesus talks to them, and he stops, and he says, wow, he perceives the faith of their heart. They perceive just their faithfulness, that so they knew Jesus could do something with their friend, and the first thing he says to them, he says, son, your sins are forgiven, right? He doesn't say, son, get up and walk. He just goes straight to it. Son, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees don't like this. Why? Because only God forgives sins. So in Jesus saying, son, your, son your, your sins are forgiven, what's Jesus really saying? He's saying, I'm God. And just like Jesus perceived the faithfulness of the friends, he also perceived the hatred and doubt in the Pharisees' heart. And he asked them the question, why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, why do I say all that? Because just how Jesus perceived the faithfulness and perceived people's hearts In Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus perceive our hearts as well this morning in Mark chapter 7. If we could, if we could pray again, um, I would love that. So let's bow again and go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for who you are. God, would you bless our times together this morning. Lord, would um, today be edifying? God, today would be glorifying to you. Would you open our eyes so we can... See things in the text perhaps we haven't seen before. Would you open our ears so we can hear you speaking directly to us? Would you open our hearts so we can love and live and lead the way that you have designed us to do? God, would everything be done in this place for your glory and your glory alone. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. I've broken our time together in this passage into two sections, much like the sections you see in the scriptures before you. And the first thing we're going to look at, verses 1 through 13, is Jesus' time with the legalists. Jesus' time with the legalists. Tim mentioned there's some danger in in being a very religious person, and that's certainly the danger we see with these people. In, In verse 1, Mark said this, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples, so maybe it was all of his disciples were eating and only some of them uh, were not washing their hands, or maybe only some of the disciples were eating and none of them washed the hands. We're not totally sure what happened, but some of the disciples are the object and the target of the conversation. They saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, uh, and that's unfit for the worship of God. They were defiled, that is, unwashed. And then Mark includes a little parenthesis because the gospel of Mark was written to primarily a non-Jewish audience. So if you just read these things, you'd be like, unfit, unwashed, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So he includes a little parenthesis to describe and tell us, well, what, why is that such a big deal? Verse three, he says, for the Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands. Anyone else? Wash your hands? Just me. Y'all are nasty. I shook like 10 hands this morning. (laughs) Goodness, some Purell or something. It's a different kind of church. (laughs) They wash their hands properly, holding the tradition of the elders. Now we're going to see this is the problem Jesus has with them. They hold the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, it gives an, an example, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe. So, not just these traditions of washing their hands all the time, but many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Now, please tell me, y'all wash your dishes, right? Like we do that around here still? And, and yes, amen. <laughs> like a preacher, brother. Um, these seem like not, not big deals, like, yeah, we, we wash our hands, and yeah, we wash our dishes, but um, see, he's not really concerned. They weren't concerned with hygiene of the hands. They're actually saying the hygiene of our hands will encourage the hygiene of our heart, and Jesus is going to quickly say, uh-uh, that's not the way this works. Things from the outside don't penetrate inside. Things from the inside actually are what move to the outside. We often think of the Pharisees as these super bad guys who were on a power trip, right? The religious elites who were trying to hold down the man and and control everything. And that certainly was the heart of some of them, but I think a lot of them get a bad rap because what they've done is essentially no different than what a lot of us do. See, they took the law of God, the Old Testament, and then applied it to their life situations. Okay, now we're gonna do this even this morning. We're gonna take the law of God and then apply it to our life situations. Right? It's, it's, it's applying God's word. But what they would do is they would make their life applications of what God said on par or greater than the authority that God's word actually held. Let me give you an example. Let's say that God told me, thou shalt not touch thy stove. Okay, it's a commandment he gave me for some reason. Thou shalt not touch thy stove. You and your household don't touch the stove. I understand it. I get it. But what I do, because I don't want to burn myself and I don't want my kids to burn themselves, I create a new rule that says, thou shalt not enter thy kitchen. <laughs> Why? Because if I can't enter the kitchen, then I can't touch the stove. And if I can't touch the stove, I can't get burned. Sounds like a good thing. We're like, hey, guys, let's just, let's just not go near this stuff. That way we're never tempted to touch it. But what they've done, they'd say, if God said, don't touch the stove, we're just going to say, don't even go in the kitchen. And this is what they do. They had this this religious tradition. The tradition of the elders is what they called it. And the tradition of the elders often held more authority in their setting than the word of God did. And this is the problem that Jesus has. Verse 5, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to what? The tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Now, I love the way they ask this question. Why do your disciples, right? They want to be very clear the way they're aiming this question because if they can prove that Jesus is a bad teacher, prove he's a bad dude, they can basically invalidate his whole ministry which is what they'd love to happen. But you'll notice very quickly, Jesus doesn't even respond to their question like he does oftentimes. He just kind of answers the question they wish, wish he wishes they would have asked. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Now, there is a command in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 20. Uh, I think it's on the screen. If it's not, I can just read it to us. Um, Exodus 30, 17 through 20 says this The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons, these are the priests, the priests, shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. So it is a command. It's a command that God laid out for the priests to abide by. But again, the tradition of the elders, what did the Pharisees and the scribes command? They said, I know this is what's required of the priests. We're just going to require it of everyone. Everyone. They've taken the law of God and they've applied it to their situation. Verse 6, and Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Uh, this is the only time Jesus uses this word in the Gospel of Mark. It's used in Matthew, uh, Luke, and John quite frequently, but the only time it's used here in the Gospel of Mark. And that word hypocrite, you've heard that before, right? What, what is people's greatest complaint about Christianity? It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Right, We say one thing and then we do another. We say we believe this way, but then our actions prove otherwise. The word hypocrite, um, it, it, it's kind of neat because it's, anyone go to a play before? We went to uh, an Aladdin play recently at Gamage, and it was, it was pretty awesome. I think it's gone now, so sorry if you missed it. Um But it was fantastic, and there were all these different people in these big sets, and the cast was huge. Uh, And this word hypocrite actually has to do with play actors, because back in the day when you'd go to Greek plays and everything, they didn't have a huge cast. You had like a few people. You had a few people with a mask on a stick, and what these actors would do is they'd, they'd play one part with their face. They'd put their face on and they'd yada 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 and they do their thing and then and they'd put this one down and hada yada and they do that one. And and that's what those things were. If if that's what you did, if you were one of these actors, your title was hypocrite. You were a fake, you were a phony, you were a pretend, you're a pretender, you're someone who wore a mask, and this is what Jesus has against them. And he says, You know, Isaiah kind of talked about you. He called you hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 25. And 28, Jesus again talking with the scribes and Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. You're doing a fantastic job of keeping up with the tradition of the elders. You're doing everything that they want you to do, but inside the cup and the plate, they're full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. A few weeks ago, we were at church, and this was year, a few years ago we were at church, and our oldest, his name's Elijah. He's going to be seven in June. I think he was maybe two or three. Um, we're walking out of the children's building after a great Sunday service, uh, and he's got a cup with him. And I didn't remember bringing a cup on that Sunday, and I was like, oh, cool. Maybe My wife Mary brought him some milk or something to church. So we're walking out, and he takes his cup, and he takes a big chug of it and then turns to a planter and goes, Bleh! yucky milk, and throws his cup. And I'm like, whoa, dude, what? He says, it's gross. And I said, did you bring him milk, babe? And she says, no. I said, oh, I brought him milk last week. See, what he had done was taken his cup and stashed it in a cubby in his classroom somewhere. And the outside of the cup looked fantastic, right? The outside of the cup was clean. And it it looked like nothing was wrong with it. But on the inside of the cup, blah, not good. And that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. On the outside, man, y'all look great. You look fantastic. But on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. He goes on and says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful whitewashed tombs. But within, they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're keeping with the tradition of the elders. However, your your hands look clean. Your heart is cold. That's what he has against them. He calls them hypocrites. He says, Isaiah prophesied of you. He says this, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips. They talk the talk, but their heart is far from me. You could say they didn't walk the walk. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, that's what people should believe, teaching as what people should believe, the commandments of men, not teaching the word of God, but teaching what people think you should do. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is what Jesus has against them. They have clean hands, but they have cold hearts. Verse 9, he says, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Do do you sense the sarcasm? Y'all are doing great of doing this wrong. I remember uh, uh, on high school baseball, every time someone would make an error, they'd come back to the dugout, and we'd give them like a good game slap on the butt, and we'd say, hey, man, you're doing so good. Stay hot. Keep playing great. You're fantastic. And we didn't mean that because the guy was playing awful, right? But we, we just just doused them with sarcasm, and that's what Jesus is doing. Man, you all got a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition, He's not commending their behavior in their teaching. He's condemning their behavior and their teaching. Verse 10, I love this. He gives us an example of how they've rejected God's word and reinforced their own tradition. Verse 10, for Moses said, in verse 11, we're going to say, but you say, and who told God, or who told Moses? I just gave away the answer. Who told Moses what to write down in the Old Testament? That's God, right? Everyone say God, God, God. yeah, God did that. So here's what he's saying. He says, God says, God says, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. So that is what God has instituted. Those are the rules, those are the commands, those are the rules by which we're playing this game of life. Verse 11, but you say... say so God says this, honor your father and mother, and if you revile them, you should be put to death. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin. that is given to God. This is actually a great thing, by the way, this little tradition. They're applied, um, their application of God's word is because what they would do, uh, you're supposed to take care of your parents when they're older, right? It's a way to honor them. And, and the, the tradition they set up here was, well, if your mom and dad were well off enough and didn't need your protection, if they didn't need your support, if they didn't need your financial stability, then you could take the things you set aside that you were going to give them And declare them as Corban. And what Corban meant was instead of giving this to my mom and dad because they're good, I'm going to give it to the temple. I'm going to give it to the church so that good things can be done with it. So I don't just squander the wealth away. It can be used to feed the poor, to um, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow. It It was a really good application of God's word. But here's the problem. Verse 12, he says, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. See, what he's saying is, is the thing Corbin's good because we can set aside our funds for the church if our parents don't need it. But, but if there was a situation and these situations happen, where maybe mom got sick or dad got sick or something happened to them or whatever it might have been where you needed the funds now to help them. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, it's not that the Corbin thing is bad, but he's saying that if they need those funds to take care of mom and dad, because that's what God commands us to do, you no longer allow them to, because now you have their money. So what's he saying? He's saying God's word said this, honor your father and mother. If you don't, you should be put to death. Your tradition says you can give it away. But, but, but what you're saying is once you have it, you're not giving it back. So essentially what they've done, they have elevated the tradition of elders above God's word. And Jesus has this against them. He says, in many such things do you do. It's just one example of how the tradition of the elders usurped God's authority from what God said in his word. So that's Jesus' time with the legalist. he calls them out. Now he's going to turn his audience and talk to his disciples in these crowds in verses 14 through 26, and we can see Jesus' teaching on legalism. Now he just called the Pharisees legalist hypocrites, um, and then in the same breath, I think, he just turns to the people who are next to him. It's not even as there's this huge audience change, okay? They're, they're have, he's having this issue with the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's calling them out from where they're wrong, and it's not like he goes into a separate room and says, okay, bye, Pharisees. Let's go address this side issue. Right away, he just calls the people to him again and says to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. So Pharisees are here. He turns this way. Hey, y'all, listen and get this. Understand. Don't, don't forget this. Pharisees are here listening. I love what Jesus says. It's kind of a mic drop type of moment. He says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. See, so the Pharisees just had this issue with Jesus. Hey, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? Because they're not washing their hands, they're being defiled. And Jesus says <laughs> You guys are doing a fantastic job of not teaching the word of God. Everyone listen. These guys are doing it wrong. Just like that. And then they just go inside a different room. Like He they just, they just ends that conversation and he moves on. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In a similar teaching, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35, Jesus talking about good trees and good fruit, bad trees and bad fruit, says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You've heard the saying before, right? A tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, fantastic, he calls the Pharisees snakes. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You've heard this verse before, right? That's why when you say something really rude to your friend, your wife, your boyfriend, whatever it might be, and you say, hey, I didn't mean it. Actually, what Jesus says is you said exactly what you meant, okay? You just accidentally had what you really think about somebody slip out of your heart because that's where it came from. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his treasure brings forth evil. Uh, My kids fight a lot. They're seven, five, and three, so there's always just things going on. Uh, Last week, one of my boys kicked my daughter in the face, and guess what he said? It was an accident. I didn't mean to kick her in the face. How do you not mean to kick her in the face? Like, this this is what he's saying. No, no. You didn't accidentally kick her in the face. You, you kicked her in the face on purpose. And guess where Jesus says that starts? That starts in here. That starts in, in our heart. The, the actions we do on the outside aren't what defile us. The things that come out are what defile us because they show what's inside and what's inside is already defiling us. It makes us unclean. Verse 17, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, are you also without understanding? So the things Jesus said were, hey, y'all, get this, listen, understand. Apparently, the disciples were a little thick-headed and didn't quite catch it. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Y'all get that? So we don't got to talk about that, right? <laughs> Thus he declared all foods clean. One of my favorite verses in the Bible because bacon is delicious. (laughs) He says, food doesn't make you unclean. Unwashed hands don't make you unclean. Your unclean heart is what makes you unclean. This is the way it works. Defiled actions proceed from a defiled heart. It doesn't just come from nowhere. The things on the outside don't make their way in, but the things that are inside are actually what show and come out. Verse 20 And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. He's so clear about this. like We we can't miss this. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All of these things come from within and they defile the person. See, all of the worst parts of the world we live in, guess where they originate? Inside our heart, right? It's not the world out there, it's actually what's in here apart from Jesus. This is his problem with the Pharisees and the scribes. They had clean hands, they went through all the right motions, they did all the right things, they said the right things, they impressed all the rules, on everyone, They even made great application of biblical texts towards their people. The problem was they trusted the tradition of the elders over God's word. And I think as we look at that, we can make application for our own life because I think we have that tendency too. Three questions I'd like us to consider this morning as we wrap up our time together. The first question is this, like the Pharisees, Are we guilty of elevating our preferences to an equal or higher level authority than what God has prescribed? Are we guilty of elevating our preferences over what God has prescribed us? I think this shows itself in a lot of different ways. Maybe it could show itself in a doctrinal tradition you subscribe to. Doctrinal distinctives are great. But all too often, we build these giant walls based on doctrinal distinctives where we essentially trap ourselves up, rendering us virtually useless to those outside the fortress we've built. Maybe it's church tradition. Maybe you're locked in, in church tradition, and, and the tradition of your church, for some reason, has the greatest authority. You think baptism must be done this way, or communion must be taken This way, your order of worship must be this way. There must be no guitars, or there's never enough guitars. Maybe it's only hymns. Maybe it's never hymns. Maybe it's ESV, or NIV, or the message. Nah. (laughs) Or it's the King James, because that's what Jesus read. (laughs) It's not what Jesus read. Whatever it might be, we allow our traditions, the things, our own personal convictions, our preferences, to be more important than what God has prescribed. Or maybe it's in our families. I mean, look at the things that were maybe enforced upon you as a child and under the name of Christianity. Or maybe look at the things you're enforcing upon your children in the name of Christianity. I remember in my home growing up, we had to take off our shoes which that's fine, that's not that big of a deal. My um, mom says, no food on the couch, so we didn't eat on the couch when she was home. <laughs> that's fine, I'm still here, Jesus didn't strike me down, right? <laughs> like, no, no big deal, and, and maybe it was the teaching that we heard in our home of cleanliness is next to what? Godliness. Well, apparently you never read Mark 7, because Mark 7 says otherwise. Cleanliness does not equate or is next to godliness. Maybe with your kids, um, who knows what it is. I, I get so upset and annoyed by my kids whining, like super, super frustrated. You know what, any other parents, like it's just, they're like nails, right? It's like nails on a chalkboard and then an older mom will be like, it's only for a season. And you're like, shut up. Like, it's, like I know, and I don't like the season I'm in. It's cool, it's whatever. But I get, I get like, and I'm being real with y'all for a second, so I hope that's cool. And, and if you're a parent, I think you get this. But there's like, stop whining, right? Like, but they're a kid. They're, they're little. Like, how else are they going to get your attention, right? Or, or when they, they make a mess or they spill something. I mean, spilling their milk is not an unforgivable sin, right? They're just kids, and kids do kid things. That's fine. I can't impose my preferences of wanting a perfectly ordered home over what God has prescribed. Yeah, my kids should obey their father and mother, but you know what? Their father and mother also shouldn't be jerks. That's just the way that it is. None of these things in and of themselves are evil, but when we allow our personal traditions or our preferences to usurp the authority of what God has prescribed, we become like the Pharisees. When we become more concerned with clean hands instead of, The condition of our hearts, we're just like them. We're just like the people Jesus is talking to. The second question like the Pharisees, are we guilty of playing judge, jury, and executioner and saying what is clean and what is not? See, we judge things all the time. We judge people, we judge places, we judge things, we render them impure, dirty, unfit, wrong, out of place, whatever it might be. I read a fantastic quote this week. It said this The things we regard as dirt can take on many forms. The danger lurks that one can develop a defensive religious posture just as the Pharisees of the day did and become all consumed in keeping out the dirt. Mark chapter 2, we saw another interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus had sinners and tax collectors in his home, and they said, Jesus, why are you eating with the sinners? Why are you eating with the the unclean, the impure uh, why, why are you eating with the sinners? And Jesus said this, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says this, I came not to call the righteous. I came for the sick. See, we spend all this time keeping out the dirt, and guess who Jesus came to die for? He came to die for the dirty. He came to die for the undignified. He, he came to die for the unclean. I can't live my life just building up boundaries to keep things out that are unclean because Jesus came to cleanse the things that are unclean. We've got to get out there. We've got to put ourselves out there. We've got to put ourselves in situations where we know we have a clean heart but our hands might get a little bit dirty for the sake of the people who are dirty that they might come to know and meet and love and follow the Jesus that you and I profess because he came for them. The third question, like the Pharisees, are we guilty of having clean hands and cold hearts? Are we guilty of having clean hands and cold hearts? 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, you've probably heard this story before. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. We see that at play here even in this conversation between the Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are concerned with what? The outward appearance, the cleanliness of their hands. Are you doing the right things not to not defile yourself? Are you doing the right things to remain clean and to remain pure? But what do we see Jesus looking at? Jesus is looking at the heart. We need to ask Jesus if we can borrow his eyes so we'd stop looking with judging eyes and judging attitudes, but see people for who they are as children of God that need his grace desperately. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You've heard that phrase, just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Why? Because your heart is sick and it cannot be understood. Our heart's a liar. We need a new one. When I was little, I, I learned the phrase and you've probably heard the phrase, asking Jesus into your heart. Right? It's a good thing. I think we're asking, when we ask him to come into our heart, we're asking him to come into the center of who we are, to kind of fill our entire being, to sit on the throne of our life. But the Bible teaches about the heart differently. In Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, God says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your old heart, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, when I realize that my heart is a sinner, when I realize that all of the things that defile me, they proceed, and they come out from something that's inside, I don't just ask Jesus to come inside and clean it out. I ask Jesus to come and take away the old one. I say, Jesus, if this is where the sin comes from, if this is where the defilement comes from, if this is where all of the evil things in the world come from, I don't want it. Take it, get rid of it, and give me your heart. That's the promise. He says, I will give you the new heart. I will give you my heart. And then he says, I will put my my spirit in you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The things you want to do, you will actually end up doing because I'm going to help you do them. It's what's inside that makes its way outside. It doesn't work the other way around. If we want this new heart, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us how to get it. Romans chapter 9, 10, verses 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you confess with your mouth, that has to do with this question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? Is he just this guy who gives us lots of rules that we apply to life's different problems so we can just live our best life now? Like, like what's, what's happening there? Is that really all that he is? Or do you say something more? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord that he calls the shots that he's the one who sits on the throne if you call Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead then you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved friends may we gladly this morning receive a new heart from the Lord that we would have clean hands that come From a pure heart. I want to read Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 6. I'd invite you to stand. I'm going to read this and then pray, and then we'll go back to worship. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6 says this Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let's pray. God, may we have clean hands that issue from a pure heart. God, if we find ourselves this morning acting in any way like these Pharisees, God, maybe we're caught up in tradition, whatever tradition it might be, God, this morning would we turn from our tradition and towards your truth. God, if we've been playing judge, jury, executioner and trying to keep out what's clean and what's unclean, God, this morning, would we turn to you and thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for not just cleansing our hearts, but giving us new hearts. God, this place this morning as we leave and we turn to worship, would we pour our hearts out to you, God, because you've done something truly amazing in us and amazing for us. God, help us respond now in worship as we praise you of the Lord of lords, of the King of kings, the one who brings us real truth. We ask you all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.